Hello, this is Joe Friesen, and you are listening to Cultic Conversations. I'm here with my friend Cody. Hello. Um, let's give you fair warning now. We're recording this very late. I know I am sleepy, so this won't be as long as... Um, as I'd like to do future episodes. This is also the first in a hopefully long series of episodes fully fleshing out a conversation that we are currently having about government. Um, so yes, don't. I know I've said that the, the goal of these conversations of doing these podcast episodes is to bring it back to so what does the Christian do in worship? How do they worship to bring about certain things and deal with these topics? We'll get to that eventually. Don't expect that in this episode. So just hoping the hoping to clearly set expectations. Anywho. So for okay, first of all, Cody, say hi. That way we can tell who's who. Hello, uh, I'm Cody. So yeah, that's me. Okay, hi, Cody. <laughs> All right. So, this, before I went to work today, you... How did it come up? Why don't you, why don't you just roll us into... <laughs> we had a debate at work as I was coming back, and he was heading out to work. And um, the debate was about Ukraine and whether, you know, uh, Russia was justified in mm-hmm. what they did. And kind of the morality behind striking first, um, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the way this conversation actually came up was, you know, the age-old philosophical question of if you could go back in time and to like one very specific spot and kill Hitler as he's, you know, a baby, would you do it? Because as a baby, he's innocent, mm-hmm. but you know that he's going to become, you know, Hitler. Um, and it eventually turned into someone made a joke about like a Russian or something. And then I was like, well, this kind of ties in because it's pretty much the same thing in my book mm-hmm. as, uh, historically, you know, um, Russia and America have, have, have been, been, uh, pretty bitter rivals. We'll put it that way. I mean, we were allies in World War Two, but I think that was co-belligerents and not actually were friends. Yeah, yeah. It was a, um, let's put our hatred aside for a minute so we can get the real bad guy out of here. Mm. But anyway, one of my, uh, one of my thoughts on Russia. Mm-hmm. And this that... was, this was your spicy hot take. <laughs> is that Russia is entirely justified in their war of aggression. Okay, why? So, my reasoning would be why. Like I said, they're bitter rivals of America, and America has been pushing uh, Ukraine to join the UN. Uh-huh. And from... UN as, or NATO? Uh, great question. I think it's NATO. It's probably NATO. Um... But anyway, the big alliance. They're, they're trying to get them to join their big alliance. Uh-huh. And one of 
if I understand the situation correctly, part of that would also entail moving nuclear weapons into Ukraine, which, you know, um, not very good for Russia, who, you know, hasn't had a historically good past with Ukraine to begin with. Right. And then Ukraine is now being backed by the world's strongest military power, and they're moving nuclear weapons in. Mm-hmm. So, if you were a leader that cared about your country, truly, and you saw an enemy nation, let's say if the roles were reversed, if, like Russia, was trying to get um, Mexico to join in an alliance with it, and then move nuclear weapons into Mexico, mm-hmm. what are you going to do about it? We're going to start watching Mexico very closely. <laughs> exactly. But if that gets to a point... So, because part of the problem is, is once those nukes get in, and part of why I think Russia is justified in what they did and why they did what they did was because if they wait for the nukes to come in and then, like, one of the arguments I heard was that, well, now they're hitting cities. You know, they're hitting cities, they're taking land, they're hitting apartment buildings, stuff like that. Well, and why not just wait until the nukes are in there and then hit the nuclear silos? Well, that's kind of like someone declares you their enemy and they're like, wait, 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 wait. Let's build up this wall first and then you can come fight us. It's kind of silly, right? Why would we wait for you to fortify yourself? Because once the nukes are actually there, they're going to be backed by American military. The Ukrainians will be able to fortify them. And set up. It's, it's just a lot harder to deal with at that point. I mean, I'm, no, I'm no military strategist. In my mind, I would, I as, my unexperienced mind, I assume that there would be something more strategic to do than use all your ammo on blowing up cities. Maybe that's more strategic than I realized for deterring bringing in nukes. So, two things. One of the things that Russia has stated, now, to be fair, part of what Russia has said is that, you know, they want to take, um, part of this is they're trying to take land. Mm-hmm. They want Ukraine Which, Yeah, they, they want Ukraine back. And that is part of it. And I'm not sure you can justify that part. And that part has tainted a lot of the other things. But one of the things that Russia has stated, and one of the things that they keep stating, is that this was largely because, you know, one of their demands to end the war is that Ukraine has to pull out of NATO. Mm -hmm. And that they can't join NATO, they can't, anything like that. And, um, and that would be, in my opinion, which, you know, I'm not like the world's foremost geopolitical expert, but from what I can tell and what I can see after cutting through all the propaganda is that if nothing else, it's why Russia's doing, started this war now. It's because they have the opportunity before 
America signs a big deal. Because part of the other thing with nukes is that if they go in and start bombing nuclear silos, which, you know, if they pinpointed just nuclear silos, well, then America had just signed a treaty. And so now they're actively going to war with America. There's uh -huh. no treaty signed at the moment. There's no, I mean, we're buddies with them. We're sending them stuff. But there was no, hey, we will defend you and send troops in, send our own military forces in to fight beside you if, you know, Russia invades. There was, there was none of that. And, uh... We are kind of acting, aren't we kind of acting like that, though? Kind of. Have we sent troops to Ukraine? I don't think we, we have. have not sent, we have not sent troops. There are militia groups, but they are, they're independent. Okay. It's, um, it's like if Mexico got in a civil war and America said, okay, we're going to stay out of it, but you and me decided, you know what, we're going to go hop the border and uh, we're going to help out, you know, gotcha. North Mexico or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's not actually the government sending in soldiers it's people of their own volition going in the way to help okay yeah. um uh, yeah anyway part of it is is that in the way that i see it russia decided to invade because Ukraine was signing, was making political moves to reinforce their borders, bring in nuclear weapons. They're weaponizing against Russia. Now, it may be true that Ukraine had only peaceful intentions and that everything from here goes smoothly. But um, imagine if you, you know, you're. In the future, you're married, you've got your family, you're, you've got a nice house and everything, and a serial killer who, you know, was jailed, about to go on death row, breaks out of, breaks out of prison, right? And he shows up at your house and he's got a knife. And, you know, you come outside and you're like, whoa, what are you doing here, buddy? You know, and you say, Logically, you would pull your gun on him, and he's all like, oh, well, I'm just, you know, you're, I'm just carrying this knife for my own safety, and I'm just walking by your house, you know, nothing, be kind of suspicious, right? You know, you're, you're not going to trust him. There was actually, I don't know if you watched Andy Griffith much, Andy Griffith show? Uh, not really. Okay, there was an episode where someone that Andy had sent to jail, got out of jail on good behavior, or he served his time, something. Mm -hmm. He was he was kind of a notorious bad guy. And he sent a note. It was kind of your typical ominous-sounding note. Um, of course, Barney is freaking out. He's like, you need a 24-hour guard. And he's like, no, don't, don't freak out. Just maybe he's taking, taking this guy at, uh, at best best value face value assuming the best about him like man this ominous sounding note at face value isn't that ominous and he just wants to come meet me and say 
give me a message. I'm like, okay, I'll let him do that. And he's like, no, he wants to give you a message full of buckshot. And they're like, um, and they, and the the guy shows up with a um, shotgun case. Um, and he shows up at Andy's house late at night. At this point, Andy's a little nervous. Um, and of course, everyone else is freaking out. And it turns out that he's he came to apologize to say, the, the guy, the criminal, came to apologize to say thank you for, um, for putting him in jail, gave him a chance to rethink his life, and to give him this shotgun as a gift, because they're in the South, and they like hunting, and so... It, if it was anyone else, it would have made sense. Um, then, of course, Andy's all fine. He's like, oh, thank you. Um, but up until the point where he, he give, gives his intentions, it looks like he's coming to murder Andy to get revenge. Because mm-hmm. um, that's, that's kind of the scenario you're describing, but in reverse? Pretty, pretty much. Hmm. Um, I mean, Ukraine's trying to get weapons and if nothing else then they're our ally and historically we've been enemies and for good reason for good reason but I don't I don't I don't stand by Russia and I'm a patriot but I also don't think that we can morally sit here and say that oh Ukraine is it's weird, and, it, and it's a hard situation because part of the reason that Ukraine wants those weapons and wants to sign a deal with America is because, you know, Russia's been kind of oppressive. And so it's this hard thing. I, because if I'm, if I were in Putin's shoes, what do you... I can't just allow them to bring in weapons mm-hmm. of mass destruction right next to my border. And there might have been, there were wrongs in the past. You know, um, Ukraine should be its own free nation. They chose to secede. They are, they're their own nation now. And so Russia does not have a right to come in and fight Uh but if someone is you know bearing arms around my family getting closer and closer and closer you know I might say hey you need to stop and if they keep coming closer like if a serial killer keeps getting closer to my family I'm not gonna sit there I'm gonna pull the trigger you know before he gets close enough that he can stab one of my kids Uh I think the little, little direction at this point, though, I agree at this point that Russia is justified in pushing back against Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, if we did, we did make an agreement to not try and make Ukraine part of uh, NATO. Now, I don't even remember how this whole thing started, if they asked to be part of NATO, or if we kind of under the table, handed them something, hinted at maybe making them part of NATO. Um, 
or if Russia was getting a little aggressive with Ukraine and that's what prompted them to ask for NATO help. Um, and yet the... I'm trying to remember... I know that the majority of Ukrainians are Russian. Um, I'm trying to remember what the statistic was, what the context of that statistic was. If it was the majority of them being Russian, they were sympathetic to being part of Russia, or if they were surprisingly wanting to be their own country, I don't remember. Um, It is, it is complicated. Mm -hmm. um, I think this just highlights the importance of communication. Uh, it's hard to, to communicate when there's bad blood between world powers. Um, whatever intentions we had in trying to assimilate Ukraine into NATO, whether it was they asked or because we wanted to, I think there should have been a little more, a little clearer communication about what, what are our intentions. Um, if Russia had asked that question, asked those questions, it would have probably saved uh, some ammo and some lives the alternative, if you don't talk to each other, or if the, the message, you think the message you're getting is hostile, then it does make sense to go into kind of battle mode and lob a few, uh, lob a few warning shots. But I don't know if you could qualify what's happening in Ukraine as warning shots. Um, yeah, I definitely don't think it's, uh, it's not warning shots anymore, that's for sure. Yeah. Part of the problem with warning shots is I don't know that on a international scale that there is such a thing as warning shots. I don't know. Arguably, I think the the nuke, the nuking of Japan, both of them were warning shots. I mean, they were they were progressively less warning shots, but the idea was that look, we will do this to your entire nation. We're starting with one city. We did two. Did we do three? It was just two. It was just two. We did one, and you didn't listen. We're going to do another one. Pay attention. Because we could do this everywhere. I, I see what you're saying. I disagree. Um, partially because I don't know that you can call wiping out a whole city a warning shot. Part of it is just pressure. That's fair. We didn't want to kill all the Japanese. We didn't want to commit right. genocide and make a you know Japan a nuclear wasteland. It's no one wanted that, but it was it was applying pressure. Definitely, um, I will say one thing though is that uh, the U.S. only had two bombs. I'm pretty sure we had more. We were in the process of making more. We were in the process, but from what I 
understand. Basically, there were the two bombs, and once they dropped the second bomb, if Japan didn't surrender, they weren't sure what they were going to do. They were, uh, they were like, um, I don't know. Like, they pretty much, they dropped the first one, Japan didn't surrender. And they were dropping the second one going, what, what do we do after this? There are no more, there are no more bombs. It would take, um, you know, considerable time, considerable time to produce more. And, you know, the war was escalating, having mm-hmm. escalated. Um, I don't know all the details along that lines, but from what I understand, it wasn't that there were. You know, a hundred bombs lined up, and we're just taking one city out at a time. It was, at that point, there were two left. Okay. Two functioning bombs left, and that was all there was to it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much, on an international scale, that you can do warning shots. Because... I mean, I think it... The problem we're seeing is resolved if we look at it on a large scale. When you're looking at it on a scale of nations, a nuclear bomb could be a warning shot, but that warning shot on a national level is not a warning shot on an individual level. But that's the weird thing about nations, is you're right. Um, Like, I can kind of see what you're saying, see what you're getting at, but part of the problem is that when you start killing the individuals, the rest of the individuals in that nation go, you just bombed us. You just dropped a bomb on us. The same mm-hmm. thing with, like, rockets. Maybe there's a way to do it. Well, like, if, I, if I shoot you in the leg as a warning shot, the rest of you doesn't isn't oblivious to the fact that I just shot you in the leg. And the rest of you will re- react accordingly, even though I only put, like, a 9 millimeter hole in... A hundred and... I'm not going to guess. If it was, you shot me in the leg, you put a 9mm hole in 160 pounds of flesh. That's that's a small hole. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. But the rest yes. of me reacts. Just because we're a cohesive unit. True, but how are you going to react? Like if you, You're right. It's I'm probably going to punch you. Yeah, you, you're, you're going to hit back. You're gonna, if you've got a gun yourself... I mean, if you shoot me in the leg, Joe, and uh, I've got a gun, I'm, I'm going to shoot you, and I'm not going to shoot you in the leg. I'm going to shoot back full force. And uh, now, if you shot, like, on the ground around me, that's one thing. But... Right, and I don't know how we, how we take the analogy of shooting in the ground and take it back into the reality of nations trying to fire warning shots at each other. Well, part of the problem is... When you get to something that scale, there's not a shoot around the ground that you can really do unless you're detonating a nuclear bomb on like an uninhabited mountain range or something. But if you're number one, nuclear bombs are quite limited. They're not a uh, infinite resource. Uh-huh. Secondarily, if Putin was willing to launch nuclear bombs, it would immediately pull almost every nation in the world into war. I only use the nuclear bomb thing because that because of what America did with Japan. That okay. was the analogy that I was playing on. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not trying to bring nuclear well, into Putin's situation. I, I get what you're saying, but part of my point is is that you can't, um, I mean, to fire those warning shots, you're going to have to destroy something, or you're going to send a rocket into an inhabited area, which is a very, very different message, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, if, kind of like, if you shot a warning shot near me, okay, that's, that's whatever, you know. But if you uh, start shooting just above the heads of my family as a warning shot, that's a very, very big difference. That would be a very that I, maybe I'm getting the point because that seems like a very weird way of trying to warn. Because I'm th I think I'm trying to warn you. Mm -hmm. So why would I try and warn you by shooting over your family member's heads unless I'm a weirdo? Yeah, which I mean, it's kind of there's, there's a the analogy doesn't quite work, I guess. No, because like how, how is what is shooting over family members' heads in Russia hitting cities of Ukraine? Which then you could say the same thing of like, oh, well, now they're build, blowing up, you know, apartment buildings and stuff. And I will say this, I don't know that, uh, like a lot of the stories that I've heard, when they're hitting apartment buildings, or they're hitting grocery stores, or things like that, it's because the Ukrainians set up bases around them. They're, it's not that they're just going, oh, hey, there's some civilians, let's shoot them. Now, of course, the media is trying to say that, but there's, which to be fair, some of it might be true, but a lot of it seems like propaganda for whatever reason. Um, you know, everything from people are looking at videos from the Ukrainian war and, you know, like the atrocities and things like that, and they're actually the same videos from other previous wars years ago, oh. used in different propaganda campaigns um, you know a lot of the a lot of the uh, you know things that Russia has quote unquote done you know of course Russia denies them they're not going to admit to it but it's there's not a lot of solid evidence in my opinion a lot of the stuff is very circumstantial and just kind of Russia's the bad guy they suck, and oh my gosh, there are these dead bodies here. Well, of course, Russia came by and tortured them, you know, things like that. Which is another weird thing about geopolitics. Because one, you have to treat the individual like the whole, but at the same time, you have to treat you cannot treat the individual or the whole like the individual. So say uh, in Vietnam, there were many, many cases of Americans who went in, murdered people, tortured people, raped people, um, and stuff like that. And does that mean America's bad? No. There were atrocities of war, and do the people who committed those acts 
were they acting in rogue? Yeah, they were acting in rogue. They weren't acting, you know, with America when they did those things, even if they were with the American army. And that is sadly a reality of war. Should those men be executed? Absolutely. But you can't look at that and then go look at America. America is evil because of this. Let me say one last thing and then I'll let you say your side note. Uh, now there is also a thing though is that if the Russians are being allowed to do that and you know due process is not uh, being exacted and they're just kind of blowing it off and not coming up with a case saying no this isn't true and they're just letting their men do that and a lot you know the whole collective is acting like that and yeah you treat Russia people and like they're murdering and torturing people but you know from like some of the war crimes I see it's like well a lot of it doesn't have any evidence that it's actually Russia. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already know that Ukraine is using propaganda. And so pile of bodies might have just been from, I mean, could be soldiers, could be that one of the missiles went awry and collided with a, you know, a building full of people. And so... The Ukrainians took those people, piled them up, and said it was Russia that did it. We don't really have any evidence, and there's not really anybody questioning it. Now, at the same time, it's kind of it's kind of hard to do that. It's not like you can... I mean, we're in the middle of a war. It's not like you can go and investigate. Mm-hmm. It's hard to investigate every single you're, claim. There's a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Um, hypothetically, really, unless I just... Re- the sake of whatever, the sake of conversation. Hypothetically, Russia is committing, the Russian soldiers are committing, no, I won't say Russian soldiers, I'll say Russia. Russia is committing war crimes against uh, Ukraine in the, mm-hmm. in the war. Um, to tie this into what role do other governments play what role does a government play in uh, as a third party to a war? So, what what should the U.S. do? Not not as someone who is backing Ukraine, because we are backing Ukraine, mm-hmm. or even as someone who has historically been an enemy of Russia. Just ignoring that. Um, what should the what should America do in relation to Ukraine, the war between Ukraine and Russia? In my mind, I think that our the representatives of America, specifically the president, should call on the representative of Russia, specifically Putin, and demand that he stop his soldiers from committing war crimes. Simultaneously, 
and this is another hypothetical, if we have Russians coming into America, um, we can't, I don't think the government or government officials should treat them any differently. Um, it's like the idea of the whole and the vid individual, the whole nation of Russia versus the individual Russian and how you interact with those two. Mm -hmm. um, the, the individual Russian coming who is in America, visiting or immigrating, whatever, um, I don't know that they have, we can hold them responsible and treat them like the entire nation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> sort of like how in World War II, um, the Americans rounded up a lot of the Japanese citizens and put them in camps, basically. Uh -huh. I mean, they were... So, on that note, I, I agree. That was definitely something that was messed up in the way that America handled like World War II. Uh -huh. and so I don't think that we should be doing that with Russians today. Um, right. So I think there's there a government, is a, there's a government principle yeah. of innocent until proven guilty. That's a historical American yes. um, doctrine. And so, I, how do you separate? We assume that the individual Russian is innocent until he's proven guilty. But we've already seen, or assuming for this hypothetical situation, that the nation of Russia has proven itself guilty. Like, we assume that mm -hmm. the nation of Japan had proven itself guilty of um, I don't I don't think they were guilty of war crimes but they were waging war against us and so they were guilty in that sense mm -hmm. but then we made the mistake of equating the the Japanese individual with the Japanese nation and we thought we thought of them as guilty yeah. when in reality we should have thought of them as innocent and so like what's what's going on there that we should be thinking of the individual differently than the nation even though they're kind of tied together. <sighs> to be honest, I think part of this is going to go down to a bit of a technical debate. Okay. Because one of the things you do have to watch out for is making sure that... Well, I'm not sure that there's a whole lot you do differently anymore. I mean, we've always been looking for Russian spies. And so, like, that's kind of my biggest would be my business, biggest hesitation to just letting Russians into the country. I don't think there's anything, I guess I'm hesitant about having them here, but I, you know, it's not like they're a bunch of terrorist acts committed by Russians, you know, that they're for Mother Russia blowing up, a, you know, a government building or something like that. There's not really mm -hmm. any of that. There are Russian spies, and they're going to be spending more spies, a lot more spies, but that's kind of normal from Russia. We're always trying to put spies in our network. Um, part of it's going to come. Part of it's going to come down to the technical details of you know how as the game of espionage works, and to be quite frank with you, I, I don't I don't know a heck of a lot about it. 
I think that's the point that you don't know a lot about espionage. Uh, that's yeah. You've got a got a point. <laughs> yeah. Unless um, you're in. They, it. They've done their job. They've done their job. But um, you know, there's always the old saying that confirm but verify. If there is going to be a Russian coming into our country, here on out, they probably need a more scrutinous background check than just you know like oh you ever committed any crimes oh okay cool you know they need thorough checks um again technical issues i don't know how feasible that is i don't know uh, what resources that would take or how well that would even work um so that's something i don't you know obviously it's not my area of expertise so i think it kind of comes down to that and just, you know, the old saying, confirm, or trust, but verify. You know, let them in, treat them like an individual. But, you know, maybe put a little more scrutiny on them. Uh, but make sure that they are who they th they're saying they are. Yeah, that, that would be my idea there. As far as the war crimes, I don't, I mean, obviously there's the, diplomatic situation of, okay, yeah, Biden goes to talk to Putin and says, hey, these war crimes, they gotta stop. But part of the problem with that is, what do we do beyond, I mean, you can threaten war, and like open war, and no one wants that, because that immediately turns into us nuking each other. And it's just bloodshed upon bloodshed. And it's a tough thing. Because the other thing is that what is, I mean, America's already put sanctions on Russia. We're already sending weapons and money to Ukraine. Um, and so, again, that's another one of those things where it's like, I'm not sure what you can do more, um, aside from just sitting Putin down not okay. You've got to stop. Um, I don't... So I'm not sure. I wonder if, if how much use the example of Reagan would be. Because he was one who, he has the famous speech, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down the wall. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't, Gorbachev wasn't waging a war. He had a wall up. Um, he was trying to maintain the Soviet Union. Um, the Reagan was, I think, instrumental in the fall of the USSR because of his relationship and because of his relationship with, I don't know, was he, was he a President Gorbachev or was he just a Mr. Gorbachev? I don't remember. Um, I'm not sure. I, that's not a story I'm super familiar with. We'll just, we'll just I mean, say I know he's, the a, basics, he's a Mr. But. I don't know much beyond the basics. I don't know the details. And um, anyway, it is because of his because of President Reagan's relationship with Mr. Gorbachev, um, and the way that he held him accountable to doing what was right for Russia, for the USSR, as it was which the mm -hmm. right thing in Reagan's eyes, I think it was the right thing, was to let it go, let it dissolve, and stop being a commie dictatorship. 
Um, and that's what happened. At least in part. I mean, it's kind of revived in some sense. In that. Okay. Um, yeah, I wonder... I'd have to study it more. Whoever decides... Whoever wants to look at that example would have to study it more than what I've just described. But I feel like there's something there that we could look at. I agree. There's probably something. There is... I mean, there is flat out something very powerful about two people who have a relationship getting together and going, okay, we're going to talk about this like mature men. You are... You're afraid that, you know, Ukraine is going to get nukes and they're going to be used as a weapon against you. Or that they're going to turn against you and that's not good for you. Okay, so let's see. Uh, you know, but Ukraine also doesn't want to be attacked and they need protection. Mm. And things like that. And, you know, send them down saying, hey, you know, these war crimes, they're not... You know, that's not okay. That's a crime against humanity. There's a certain... There is something very powerful about that. And just mm -hmm. sitting down. Two mature mature men sitting down, having a mature conversation. And, you know, just discussing it. And, um... So, yeah. I don't... It would be interesting to peer into, you know, the relationship there and, uh, you know, get some more details on that and mm -hmm. see how all that worked out and everything like that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if this happened then. It might have. I think it's happening now. Um, trade sanctions? Mm -hmm. Locking down on trade. I've gone back and forth on how effective or um, principled cutting uh, trade sanctions or cutoffs, cutting nations off in trade as discouragement for behavior. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't if you don't stop fighting with Ukraine, we're gonna stop sending you stuff and we're gonna stop taking your stuff. Like, I think the counter-argument there is that, well, they'll, they'll just go get their, whatever they were getting from you, they'll just go get it from somewhere else, or they'll make it themselves. Um, which that's, that's, for me, that's the most persuasive counter-argument. It's like, okay, well, then your trade sanction did basic, basically nothing. It may have made their product more expensive. It's like, okay, maybe. It, it definitely, I, I don't think it's useless. I mean, it does seem, and I think it seems better than I the alternative of um, instead of cutting you off in trade, we are going to start shooting missiles at decisive yeah. targets. See, I think that's part of it. Part of it is, is I think that's the international version of a warning shot. You know, that's the, hey, we're not messing around. We're, you know, we're, there are consequences to your actions. Mm -hmm. Part of it is, is obviously it's not stopping Russia. They're still doing what they're doing. Because, to be honest, from what I can tell, from their point of view, it's, oh, we have sanctions, trade sanctions, or we get 
you know, nuked by Ukraine, or they turn into a major weapon against us, where a, and that becomes a huge problem down the line. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we One need to thing... open up the options instead of it just being either you, either we cut you off in trade or you get nuked. Be like we cut you off in trade, or you sit down and talk, sort this out like adults. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely one thing. I mean, who but knows? maybe we should put day... some sanctions on Ukraine. So like, stop being belligerent and provocative. <laughs> well, okay, but part of it is, America was kind of pushing Ukraine. Okay. So it's not that they were just like, hey, we're going to nuke you, Russia. I do believe it was very much so, hey, we want to get protection. And I think the way that I, if I understand it right, it was kind of like, you know, America came in and was like, hey, you know, you need protection. Let's get you into NATO. Because why wouldn't you you join NATO? And quite frankly, it does give us a huge advantage into Russia. Uh And even if it failed on a, uh, in a very callous way, it... I mean, we're fighting a proxy war. We are fighting that, our one of our greatest enemies, and we have not put a single boot on the ground mm-hmm. for our own military. And that's another branch that we could explore at some point, is proxy wars. I think proxy wars are dumb. I mean, why would... It depends. They might be immoral, but they are quite effective. I mean, yeah, because I mean, you're not using your own people, but you're using someone else's people, and that's that's part of the dumb part for me. Right. And it's also, it's like... very... It seems cowardly to me. Yeah. Like, why would you not do it yourself? I, I don't know... Well, for one, there's no nukes involved right now. That is one thing. We can deplete Russia's military power. We can challenge them without getting nukes involved, if it's a proxy war. Now, if we put boots on the ground, suddenly nukes come a lot closer to the table, and nobody wants nukes. And the other problem is that when nukes start becoming something on the table, what happens next? Because it's not just a... Cold war? It's not just a cold war. It's not a... You do have a cold war, but part of it is you end up with... No, sorry, cold war is kind of the wrong word. Anyway. You come with other people are going to start joining in. They're going to say, oh, well, you know, uh, what happens when China sees that we're getting ready to nuke Russia? They're kind of like I a mean, World War One ball and chain? Pretty much. Yeah. And One, that was, that was, I don't know if it's the same, because World War One ball and chain was like, basically the, the various alliances that had been made. This little country, something happened here, and so they go to war, and then this bigger country... Who is an ally with the smaller attack country? Like, well, we want to help you. And then the bigger is like, and then the entire world, except for the United States, is pulled into World War One. And then the United States gets in it eventually. Yeah. And that is, but it becomes a very, it's not necessarily that that will happen um, because nukes really do change the game. Mm-hmm. And China might be like, oh, well, we're not. We don't want to get nuked, so we're just going to stay out of it. I mean, like the trade but, sanction thing, China is a very large economic power, and so any mm-hmm. sanctions that we put on a particular country, China would probably see as an opportunity to build an alliance and a trade relationship with the country that we just cut off, which 
may be bad for us. Yeah. I don't think it works. I'm not saying it does. I'm just saying it could work that way. I think it... Yeah. I think it would work that way. Just because China is so antagonistic to our own agenda. Any country that we declare an enemy by trade or whatever... Would probably they would probably consider as at least a co-belligerent and someone to build an allyship yeah. with. Part of it is I don't know. You know, I've heard a lot that you know, like Russia and China are kind of buddy buddy. I don't know that that's true. Um, so it kind of depends on how close they are. I mean, they aren't they like right on top of each other. Yeah, I mean they touch, but okay. So I mean, there's that. Yeah, there is that, which. The other thing is that, yeah. I mean, what, what, what's kind of weird about Russia is that as big and as scary as they are, they kind of have a, a scary mythos about them. But they're not, as far as I know, they're not actually that significant on the world stage. Like, they don't do, I don't know that they're, they do a lot of trade. They don't produce a lot. So they have and a they, lot of oil. Okay. So part of what's I don't know if you know how much. But the you other know thing about was this, that they weren't there things... on the grand scale, or at least maybe as far as like landmass goes, they aren't that strong in military, or they aren't as advanced. I don't know. They're like they're surprisingly underrated for how they get portrayed. Is so what I'm trying to I get will, at. I'll, I'll say a couple things. Number one, um, as a quick note, the so like the trade sanctions you were talking about, they're not stopping trade. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they are. They're putting sanctions on it, which if I understand right, it's basically like big taxes or okay. stuff like that. Um, or I, I don't know exactly how sanctions work, but yeah, you, you they're not stopping it. Because part of the problem is that almost all of Europe, Europe depends on Russian oil. Mm-hmm. Like their grids start to shut down and fail if they don't have it like all across the country. There was a, wasn't there a pipeline? What was the pipeline thing? Were you aware of the pipeline thing that happened? Um, a little bit. There was like a pipeline that ran through Germany. No, it was, uh, it was a pipeline that ran through Ukraine. Russia wanted to build a pipeline through Germany, which would have circumvented Ukraine. And we, there were, some of our allies didn't want that pipeline to be built because it would then allow Russia to attack Ukraine because they no longer needed that Ukrainian pipeline. And I think that Ukrainian pipeline was the big pipeline to Germany. It's been a while. And it's also late, so brain fog. I don't know all about that. That is interesting. That's something I would like to research. I don't know a lot about that one. Um, yeah, I think, I think Trump shut down... Trump shut down the pipeline, and then, like, the first thing that Biden did when he got in office was uh, release all the stops on that Russian pipeline being built, which a lot of people got up in arms about. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about it, and so I couldn't speak to it. But, yeah, I do remember Russia's big on oil. Mm-hmm. And um, to, your, to your other point, you were saying that they may not be as militarily as advanced as we think. Right. In some way, they, they're actually underrated than what we kind of first face value. So, um, 
actually it was interesting. I was listening to, well, there's two things. Number one, first thing is there, from what I understand, up until recently, like when they first started the war, they are starting to escalate their weaponry now, but they were throwing old tanks, old missiles, old weaponry, all the, you know, all the stuff that we're sending to Ukraine because it's like our old weaponry and, you know, we're just going to build more newer stuff and we're kind of sending the old stuff to them. That's pretty much what Russia's doing up until recently. They are escalating their weapons now and have been for a little while, but um, up until recently, they've been doing that same thing where they're just using old weaponry and things like that. So another... Uh, and another thing to do, it was the interesting thing that I was listening to one of the Joe Rogan podcasts, and one of the things they talked about is that if you ever look at, like, um, Russian wars, almost always the exact same thing. The first, uh, you know, the first, like, year or the first segment of the war is always terrible. Russia does terribly, um, things go wrong, they get pushed back, and then all of a sudden they, you know, they rally together, they fight, and they're winning. And it's like, they, you know, they talked about like all the way, I mean, you kind of saw that with Napoleon, you saw that with, in like World War Two, and you saw that in all these other things. Um, My understanding was that it was just, it was basically a terrain advantage. As soon as it hit winter, there was no beating Russians just because nobody else was used to that climate. There is that. Except for the Mongols. There is that, but at the same time, when you're doing... Like with Napoleon, that's kind of... You have... They pulled Napoleon in. Mm -hmm. Napoleon didn't just walk in, see a bunch of burnt towns, and go, ah, we're going deeper, boys. You know, he got pulled into a conflict. And... From what I understand, he never intended to stay into the winter because he knew that was a stupid idea. And he just slowly got dragged further and further in, and they kind of... I don't know all the details about it. This would be an Anthony question. This would be an Anthony question. Our friend Anthony has studied Napoleon extensively, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that... That's one of the things is that, quite frankly, this might be a tactic where they go in... You know, it looks bad, and then all of a sudden, everybody under misunderestimates them. The Russians pull back, or pull, you know, they, uh, they can pull their enemies into unadvantageous positions because they overextended themselves thinking that the Russians were weak. Mm-hmm. And it's, whether, it, it's a tactic that has been used over and it's and again like you said the other thing is that they were throwing all their their old tech at them and now they're starting to escalate now they're pulling you know they're doing a draft they're pulling their resources together and they're going out this full force because part of it is as i think originally that this was intended to take back a little bit of land but also, the main goal was to get them to say, no, I'm not going into NATO. Mm-hmm. And, and that's reasonable, I think. It, it is reasonable, but 
now the other thing is that they've they performed a war of aggression and now Ukraine I mean there's a lot of innocent people there quite frankly and a lot of innocent people that are being displaced that are being killed and a lot of their home is being threatened mm -hmm. and they're not going to stop now it's I've heard a lot of different people um, talk about how it's, it's no longer in the Russian hands to stop the war. It's in the Ukrainian hands because the Ukrainians, they're, they're all in this. I can't tell you how many different people I've heard say this and you know tell stories about it. The Ukrainians are all in. It's do or die. This isn't a, you know, it's not like we're going to surrender. Um, and so... Originally, you know, like the Russians, you throw your, you throw the old tech at them, you get them to, you know, it's, again, almost kind of like a warning shot. Uh, it's kind of weird because, but the problem is, is that, you know, they actually invaded, which I think it was kind of meant to be like a warning shot of, hey, we are going to use force, we are going to apply force, we're going to take back some land, and you're going to get out. But then the Ukrainians were like, no, you just shot at us. You shot at our families. You shot at our country and our homeland. Mm -hmm. We're not giving up. In fact, we're going to push back and we're going to take back what you took from us years ago. And so now that that's happening, now that it has escalated to that point, Russia's going, okay. All right, we got into this. We hoped, you know, that this would be a quick in and out. You know, you're no longer going into NATO, but uh, it's not going to end that way. So we're going to put all of our forces into this. We're going to start pulling in soldiers. We're going to start throwing our military in full force at you. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I don't think, uh, well, for one thing, I very definitely don't think that Russia's losing. I know the media is constantly trying to paint it that way, and that Ukraine, the Ukrainians are... Guess we like an underdog story. And Ukrainians are definitely an underdog. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that if Ukraine has already fallen, why are we sending them more weapons? Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be a lot larger of an outcry to stop Ukrainian support if Ukrainian, if Ukraine's beaten. Let's let's try and finish on on this point. I remember what you said earlier correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you think that Russians should the Russians should win the Ukrainian war. That might not be the quite the right way of wording it. Okay. I'm you know, definitely not I'm glad that I live in America, not Russia. I'm not voting for Russia, 100%. But I do, when I look at it, I go, in this situation, we're taking out the past. We're looking at this situation because I know it's kind of hard to take out the past. You can't exactly do that. Mm -hmm. But in this situation, I think that it was not a war of aggression, but it was a war of defense. Someone came at them and threatened them. Now, did they have right to come at them and threaten them because of all the stuff that happened in the past? Yeah, probably. But 
that can't be changed now. And they're coming at them with uh, guns blazing, with nukes, and, well, with the threat of moving nukes into their next door neighbor. And so, and the other thing is that if they waited, and waited for Ukraine to do something, by the time that Ukraine does something, it's too late. Mm. You know, if Ukraine gets its nukes, and the U.S. starts building air bases there, and starts moving in our military full force, by the time that happens, and Ukraine decides, oh, well, we're going to go take back the land that you took from us. It's too late. It's too late. Because then they've signed treaties with us. We're hitting them from the other side. They've got nukes. They've got, you know, military might that's built up. It just... So you can't wait that long. So I do truly believe that it was a defensive war. Mm-hmm. Now... Does some of that get mixed in with trying land grab? Yeah. Yeah, it does. But I think at its heart and the main reason the war was waged was because Putin just wanted to defend his country. Mm-hmm. I think... So it, this is in the context of international wars conquering and aiding conquering americans aiding either the rebellion or um, hypothetically aiding a a conquering of a nation Um, in order to bring this kind of back to the theme the core of why i do this i think of uh, biblical examples of conquering and conquering or being conquered and the only examples that i can think of are related to Israel first um, conquering wiping out all the Canaanite tribes in the uh, along the Mediterranean the East Mediterranean coast um, which they did that because God said that was their land and he told them to go wipe them out so okay I think that's that's maybe a unique situation um the other scenario is that of like Babylon and Assyria conquering Israel and leading them off into captivity, which that happened because Israel was being unfaithful and so it was a disciplinary thing and the conquerors were punished for their conquering. Maybe? I'm actually, I'm actually not sure. I think that was at least part of it, which is also the fact that these nations were wicked nations, which was part of the reason why they were chosen to be the conquerors, because it, it was a shaming thing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. The, I'd have to look more into the biblical law concerning, I mean, does the Bible, what does the Bible say? Because it obviously does. I'm just not sure what it has to say about um nations conquering each other like is it why why does that happen when should it happen um should it be permanent that would that would be another question and who who gets involved like those those are the questions we ask 
the biblical narrative to get answers for our current scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a hard question to answer without launching into a whole nother discussion. I do think that long story short I do think that there are instances in which yes we do need to go and conquer and um, I think part of the reason you do that isn't just so oh hey we got more territory you know we uh, part of that is if there's a country where people are being murdered on the daily and you know Christians are being persecuted and slaughtered for their beliefs and there's no free speech and tyrants true absolute tyrants rule then yes I think you need to go and conquer that but part of the issue there, too, is, you know, like, a lot of people, you know, say that Putin's a tyrant. Well, that doesn't mean we go and fight Russia, because that's going to end up us being dead. But, um, and that just doesn't go well for anybody. But part of, I think, what's happening you with Ukraine is that it is intended as a proxy war. Uh-huh. We can't fight... Russian tyranny head on, so we're going to take it from a sideways. Now again, is that moral? I don't know. Because we're making the Ukrainians fight our war. And uh, there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it, but at the end of the day, I do think that there is a point where, yes, as Christians, we are called to bear arms, rise up, fight, and to destroy evil. There's... God gave us a choice and freedom of will, and I think that that is supposed to be respected, but there also comes a point when people are committing evil acts, and it's time to stop them. Okay, so you... You'd say that uh, Christians have a responsibility to wage war for liberty. Literally. Wage war. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say we call it here. I've written down our notes for next time. Biblical answers to conquering. Why? Why? Why should you conquer? What? Or when do you conquer? Who gets involved? Are the conquerors permanent? Um, what does the Bible say about proxy wars? And then the Christian responsibility to wage war for liberty. I will add literally. Um. Any other, any other notes that I should make for, for next time? Not that I have it this time. Okay. So in summary, um, America is waging a proxy war through Ukraine, and there there might be reasons to do that. I think we're we're kind of on the same page about that. We're not. I still think it's dumb. I think you you can see justifications for it. Um, 
we both agree we shouldn't like villainize Russians coming in being in America like Japanese were re villainized during World War II um, we should be dealing fighting against Russia in some way um, maybe through proxy war trade sanctions might be an option that at the moment the way we're doing them aren't working real well um, and that Russia is probably justified fighting a war of defense that they also technically started by being aggressive oppressive dictators um, Is that a good summary? Anything that you'd want to add? Ah, no, that sounds pretty... The only thing I can think of to add is that, yeah, I, it, it's a weird thing for me because I do think that this war was a war of defense, but they also did kind of start it by their actions. And, uh -huh. um, which is actually, I think, an interesting thing when you... I'll make this quick. Yeah, that's and it's fine. discussion for another time, but it's interesting because it's almost like you do see a similar thing in relationships a lot of times where things escalate a little bit by little bit by little bit. And it starts out with stupid little things, you know, like, hey, we don't like this law or we don't, or, you know, like, hey, I don't like the way that you talk to me. And then, you know, it grows and it grows and it grows into the point that, you know, you, in a relationship, that you're getting mad at each other, just treating each other with hate, and, or, you know, like, in a national scale, where you decide to break off from the mother country. Uh -huh. And eventually things just keep escalating and escalating and escalating. Tiny little things add up on top until you get to a point where there was a tiny little crevice, a tiny, a tiny little crack in the ground, and now it's a massive canyon, and there's no way back. Uh -huh. Because I think that's kind of what has happened here. I don't know a whole lot of the history between, you know, like, how Ukraine came to be, uh, how it's, how, you know, I don't know if Ukraine has ever done anything to Russia in the past, um, how things like that work, I don't know. I didn't know they were they were a territory in the USSR. They were referred to as the Ukraine because it was like, it was how it's kind of in my mind. It's how we refer to the prairies. It's kind of a terrain description or a um, or maybe a national description. The South describing the kind of people that live there, mm -hmm. um, and when the USSR broke up these little territories that were kind of their own states, per se, just became their own entities. Mm -hmm. Not all at once, uh, but Ukraine, formerly the Ukraine, was one of those countries that became its own thing with ties. Mm -hmm. And those, those ties have been in various states of decay and strengthening throughout history, and at the moment they're in a state of, kind of a critical state. Yeah. And... I don't know, it just, if nothing else, it's gotten to the point that it seems like neither side can really back down. And there's so, same thing with 
interpersonal relationships, I think when you get to that point, there's only two ways to, to deal with it. Well, three. One of them shouldn't be an option. You either do get out, which not a good option, as we see. Um, you sit down and you talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very complicated thing for two countries to do, especially two prideful countries. And it, it takes patience and because then, it's not going to get resolved as fast talking than it is if you just punch it. I punched you harder, you fell down more, I am superior, even if my reasoning, even if I'm actually wrong. It's, it's, easier to t- it's easier to establish dominance physically than through actual reasoning. It changes a little bit on the international scale, but yeah, you've got a point. You've got a point that, yeah, there comes a point where it's like, okay, fine, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to, here's my gun. Let's, uh, let's duke it out. And I think the third, the third thing that can happen is there has to be outside intervention someone which is part of the problem with us sending so much support to ukraine Mm -hmm. because typically in situations like this america especially with all of our military might tends to be a good mediator Mm -hmm. or at least a decent option to be the mediator but at this point it's kind of like we're egging things on yeah we're we're on ukraine's side Mm -hmm. so of course if we come and we're like all right russia let's sit down with ukraine Russia's not going to listen to us anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no one left to... There's not really a whole lot of good options left to come and say, all right, here's this outside view. Here's what's going on. Because the other thing is that all of Europe is, we're going for Ukraine, we're going for Ukraine. And instead of looking at a delicate situation and looking at it from the outside and having... You know, helping both sides to see mm-hmm. a compromise and a way forward everybody's just jumping on the Ukraine bandwagon because Russia's the one they hit first. And that's that's one thing that's difficult about being America or being a nation like America is that we're we're technically we're big enough and we're strong enough that we can be an arbitrator in all I would say almost any national international level dispute. Mm-hmm. We could arbitrate peacefully um Ukraine and Russia just by basically by flexing you flex hard enough and they're like okay we listen because you're you're establishing dominance without actually hitting anyone um, we, we could technically do that I think but we've also compromised ourselves in in certain ways that if we don't flex right or if we flex the wrong way I'm making air quotes around flexing because it's a metaphor. Um, if we don't do it right, then it's it's completely ineffective or it's provocative and things fall apart. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, yeah, I, I, think, I think going forward, it's going to take one of those three things. Either they fight it out, one of them wins and one of them loses. That's what they're doing now, right? They sit down and talk, which at this point doesn't seem likely. Mm-hmm. That's what, we'll say that's what Reagan did. Mm-hmm. And, or that a, you know, 
an outside viewpoint or an outside force comes in and mm-hmm. we don't really want to get America involved as that outside force and well, just come in and say that Russia's wrong and you know declare war on them mm-hmm. and we don't we've kind of hurt our ability to be that diplomatic you know mediator because we've picked a side we've picked a side uh-huh. we already chose a side instead of being neutral so there might be I don't know exactly how a lot of other countries are, um, you know. Yeah, I, I can't think of any nations that are that are currently neutral or who could play a neutral there arbitrator. are a couple countries that are just historically neutral in war and don't really take a side in anything. And one of those countries might be able to do something, but typically those countries are also very small and don't have Switzerland. any... Yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah, Switzerland has been strongly neutral, but they're also they they can't flex. Yeah, exactly. Now, but that might also be a plus for them actually, is because when they come in, it's no longer coming in with, "Hey, we've got our guns measuring up against your guns. You better obey." It's just, "Hey, let's sit down. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. People are dying. Their homes are being displaced. It's I mean, awful." Which I didn't even this. mean I didn't even mean like a weapons flex. Like America could trade flex, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, but I'm saying and Switzerland. I don't know that Switzerland can trade flex. Well, but what I'm saying is I'm not sure that a flex in any regard is the path forward. Because sometimes, the well, quite frankly, the same way in like interpersonal relationships, you have to lay stuff down. Well, if okay, you want to this... make something work. And so you have to, there's no more flexing, there's no more, you just have to, alright, let's mediate this. You know, like mm-hmm. if I'm going in, I'm not going to, if you and Anthony had a argument, you know, and I come in and I start applying, you know, saying, I'm going to raise your rent if you don't, you know, act with some respect and decency. And, oh, you're, you're getting out of line? Well, I'm raising your rent. You're paying more on this bill. You know, that's that's not going to help anything. No, and I, I should probably explain what I mean by flex. Mm-hmm. I, I do mean the idea of, like, you have two little kids scrapping, and you have big brother come over and just kind of chill out, and they, mm-hmm. they chill. Um, but also, like, the idea of a, of a judge or a sheriff and he, he doesn't flex. I like the judge. We'll go with judge. Because um, he doesn't have... he does He's not physically imposing. Like, he's not bigger than the parties he's arbitrating. Um, but he's got a... He's been given an authority. And a... I don't know. The closest word that I can think of is street cred. To where he's... He can flex, and he can establish a position of authority between two between two parties. Establish himself as an arbitrating third party, yeah, as unrelated. And so that's that's kind of what I mean by by flexing is that you've got you have you establish in some way um, a respectable third-party arbitration position be that 
militarily or with trade or just, I don't know, ethically, you could probably do an ethical quote-unquote flex. It has to be someone that they both respect and both agree to let be a mediator. Right. Like I said, it has to be respectable. Mm -hmm. A respectable party. And because America's chosen a side, we're not respectable as a third party at this point. We could be, but it would take some work to reestablish ourselves as neutral. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's that's cool. That was a little bit of a uh, longer. I'll do this shortly than I intended, but yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I think that's that's probably you... this again. This plays into to government because government, I think, is and the individual officers of government are people because they've been equipped. Mm-hmm by God with the sword, Romans 13, they can do the flex thing. They can establish themselves as the, as a respectable third party arbitrator of disputes. Mm-hmm. More thoughts for, for future. We, I think we, we both agree on that principally. Mm-hmm. And so how that plays out, plays out practically is where we can have more discussion. Cause I know, we're probably thinking of that playing out in different ways. Yeah, because it sounds like principally, yeah, I agree. Principally, I think we're on the same page. Practically, we're probably at complete opposite ends. So, tune in next time when we figure out where where else we uh, disagree and then where, where else we do agree. Um, yeah, I have no idea when the next episode will be. Uh, or the next episode between us. The next episode I release will probably be in two weeks, hopefully. Uh, whether that's with Cody and we're talking about government or it's with someone else and we're talking about butterflies. I don't know. Butterflies Toss something are very out. interesting. They are very interesting. Butterflies and frogs, tadpoles and caterpillars. <laughs> uh, but yeah, tune in. Uh, please, 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 please reach out. I want you to be part of the conversation. Um, I will include my, my email, freezingj2 at proton.me, or you can message me on Instagram at jofries314. Um, all of your hate comments, all of your love comments, please send them to me. Do not send them to Cody, because <laughs> I'm, I'm taking responsibility for any hateful and bigoted things that he has said. So... Thanks again, and I will see you next time. Say bye. Bye.